Hey, thank you very much. Uh, get to be seated. Nice to have you here this morning on this uh, October day. Right. Wow. Okay. Um, first of all, I want to I give a shout out to Matt Loveday. Thanks, Matt, for covering the last two weeks of messages. Didn't Matt do a great job? Amen. Yeah. Yeah. You have, you have no idea what it's like to, to walk away from uh, your ministry and have very competent people be in place and, and not get missed. So that's really good. And I want to give a shout out to those that are going to be listening to you online as well. Welcome and it's uh, nice to have you here as part of our service this morning. We're talking about story. We've been talking about story for the last number of weeks, especially the stories that Jesus told. And, and, and they're classified as parables. And we've been learning that Jesus told these stories for, for a number of really powerful reasons. And we all know, we all recognize that when we tell a story, when we hear a story, it's got the ability to take away our, our, our barriers, to take away the wall, to, to kind of hit us where the truth needs to hit us. And, and, and Jesus used that really powerfully, especially to a culture that was extremely religious and here's, here's the deal. Sometimes we can get so religious that we're not open to hearing truth. Can I say that? Is that fair to say that? That sometimes we can get so religious that we, you know, we get set in such a way. And Jesus entered into the most religious culture, the most religious society. And they had distorted what it was to have a relationship with our Heavenly Father. And Jesus used parables, Jesus used stories to get to the heart of the truth of who their heavenly father was. And we've said also that, you know, the parables are powerful in another way, that they become a mirror into our own soul. As we read the parables, we identify with the people that are part of the story. We can say, hey, you know, I've, I've walked away that way. I've, I've been challenged in that way. I did this wrong this one time. And you can identify it. And at the same time, Jesus communicates a, a window into the very heart of God. Here's the, here's the character of God. You know, we all, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm assuming that most of us know the prodigal son, this person that ran away and took the inheritance and, and did the worst things possible. But, but the father in the story represented God in, in, in this incredible story of grace and this incredible story of love and compassion that would receive the son back. In, in that kind of way. So, so the parables have this kind of multi-purpose uh, you know, as we look at them and the incredible stories that they are able to tell. And, and we're, we're into uh, part six today and we're looking at, at another story that Jesus told. Now I've got to tell you, this, to me, this is the most difficult of all the parables that Jesus told. In my mind, if there's a parable that's going to mess you up, this is the one. Okay, um, it's not very clean. It's not very. Uh, it's it's got a lot of disturbing components to it. It's, and, and, and you sometimes wonder why Jesus told this story. Now, if you're a person here this morning that believes that you can put Jesus into a nice, neat little box, you know, it's all about being meek. It's all about being service. You know, and all that kind of stuff. You're going to be challenged this morning because this parable kind of kind of pushes the boundary a little bit. Even about the person of, of Christ and, 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 and what, what is, you know, being smart? What is being wise? What is being, you know, prudent in, the, in this day and age? Uh, so it's a, it's a really neat story. It's a really difficult story. If you're in life groups, you're going to have a blast talking through this. Because there's so many points that you're going to probably struggle 
And in fact, Jesus probably could have told this story in a totally different way and gotten the same point across, but he decided in his wisdom to say it in this way. Okay, so we're going we're gonna to look at probably what I believe is the most difficult parable that Jesus ever told, and we're going to wrestle through it this morning, and uh, we're going to be frank and honest about what the, the, the tensions that uh, get raised in this story. So here we are in Luke 16, verses 1 to 14. And, uh, and by the way, this is one of the few parables that Jesus actually explains. He, he actually says, even though, even though this parable is extremely difficult, Jesus at the very end says, here's the lesson. Here's what you got to take away from it. Okay? So um, kind, of, kind of teased us a little bit. So here's how the story starts. Jesus told this story to his disciples. Now, that's very important. That is very important. One of the most difficult parables that Jesus told, he told specifically to his disciples. In other words, I'm going to tell you a story that you have to learn something. This is going to be very, very important. Now, when you read the Gospels, it is extremely important when you read it, when you read them, who the audience is. Because Jesus often um, shapes his teaching depending on who the audience is. And in the Gospels, it's generally three, three different uh, audiences. It's the crowd, it's the religious leaders like the Pharisees, or his disciples. And sometimes it's a mixture of those. Like if you go through chapter 16, it's going to start with the disciples and it's going to go to the Pharisees because they're going to be listening in to the lesson that Jesus is teaching his disciples. So whatever Jesus wants for his disciples, this is what he wants them to take away from this particular story. So here it is. There is a certain rich man who had a manager handling his affairs. One day, one day, a report came that the manager was wasting his employer's money. So the employer called him in and said, what's this I hear about you? Get your report in order because you are going to be fired. And some of uh, other versions say, um, you are fired right on the spot. Right away, what we see is whoever this manager is, he is wasting the resources of the rich man. He's wasting the resources of the rich man and he's ruining the reputation of the rich man. So those two things are in play right now. Now, um, there's some discussion in the ancient Near East that whoever this manager is who would have been entrusted, some versions say a steward. So this person is in charge of the entire rich man's estate. That's his responsibility. He's a steward. He's a manager. He takes care of the affairs of the rich man. So it's, pers- it's, it's practically carte blanche. Whatever this manager says represents the rich man. So this is, this is, this is very important. There's some scholars that believe that in the ancient Near East, there would have been some negotiation about letting this manager go. It wouldn't have happened so quickly. It wouldn't have happened right on the spot. You just don't fire people in that day and age, in the the ancient Near East. You just don't do that kind of thing. And what's really striking about the story, too, is is that the manager goes quietly. There's no argument from the manager. It's not like, okay, um, 
you know what, I've served you for so many years and I've, I've done the job really well. Why, why am I just being, why are you listening to the hearsay of somebody else? You've heard something about me. Why don't you let me defend myself? Why don't you, you know, why don't you ask me what is really going on? I could explain, you know, I could do in fact, In fact, the manager doesn't even say, bring those people in and let, let's have a confrontation. Let's, let's find out because the, how do you know they're not lying? What, whoever, these, whoever it is that's told the rich man this, the rich man believes them. They've got to be of a particular stature or a particular reputation that whoever said this to the rich man, he believes them over his own manager. Over his own manager. Now, in any culture, if there's one thing transferable in any culture... When you come upon a situation like this, silence often communicates what? Guilt. And that's what the assumption is here. Silence communicates guilt. So, next, let me read the next passage. I, I find this really, really funny. The manager thought to himself, now what? My boss has fired me. I don't have the strength to dig ditches, and I'm too proud to beg. Does that sound like a Motown song? Okay, how many of you can sing it? Okay. All right. And I'm too proud to beg, and I know how to ensure that I'll have... Ah, ah, he says, I know how to ensure that I'll have plenty of friends who will give me a home when I'm fired. Okay, this is the internal conversation that the manager suddenly has with himself. He realizes he's in trouble. He realizes, you know, he's been fired. What does he do now? This is a, this is a huge problem for him. He's trying to figure out what he's going to do. I find it very interesting, by the way, that he's having this conversation with himself because it tells you a couple things about this guy, right? He has some redeeming qualities, okay? You know, he understands himself pretty well. I'm, you know, I'm not going to dig ditches, okay? And I'm not going to beg. So what do I got to do in order to main, you know, maintain my lifestyle and maintain my situation? What am I going to do? This is a really interesting dialogue that he has with himself, isn't it? Right? How many of you, how, how many of you, how many of you have this inner dialogue with yourself? Yeah. Positive or Negative. How many, you know, how many of us have this inner dialogue about who I am, what can I do, where am I going? And isn't, and isn't, look, look, isn't it truthful that your inner dialogue determines the depth of your motivation? Isn't it your inner dialogue that, that often communicates well, who, as you see yourself as valuable or not? This guy sees himself, you know, for whatever reason. He still sees himself having redeeming qualities, and he knows himself well enough about what he doesn't want to do. How many of us have ever said, I'm not going back there again? How many of us have ever said, "Uh," you know, if I have to live through that, how many of us have been motivated more by going, you know, by being afraid to go backwards than you are afraid to go forwards? The pain of going backwards is worse than the pain of going forward. And this guy is at a crossroads. He's at, he's at a difficult place. He knows himself well enough. And he knows that he's not going to let 
He, he knows that he's not going to let this one mistake define him or derail him. He's not going to be identified by, by this one mistake. He's going to do something that's going to put him in the same place that he presently is. And, and whatever, whatever he figures out he's got to do, he wants to maintain what he's had with, with the rich man all along. Now, I've got to tell you, it's, it's, really, it's really an interesting internal dialogue that he's having. And because he has this internal dialogue, he comes up with a plan. He comes up with a scheme. He comes up with something that's going to work for him. And what's very interesting <laughs> is he figures out how to land on his feet. And he knows his situation really well. And what he knows really well is not only himself, but he knows the rich man that he worked for really well. You see, what he's going to plan to do is going to depend solely on the character of the rich man. Because if it wasn't for the character of the rich man, this next scheme that he's going to have isn't going to work at all. In fact, he's going to risk everything he has He's going to risk everything to land on his feet. Because he could very easily say, I've been fired. There's nothing I can do. I'm just going to have to pick up. I'm just going to have to find the next best thing. But he doesn't do that. In fact, he comes up with a really ingenious plan that is solely dependent on the character of the rich man in order to work. Okay? Because, because if the rich man didn't have this characteristic, if the rich man didn't have the kind of grace and reputation that he had, the manager's not going to get away with this. And here's the plan that he comes up with. Watch, watch this. Next passage. This is what he does. So he invites every person who owed money to his employer to come and discuss the situation. He asks the first one, how much do you owe my master? The man replied, I owe him 800 gallons of olive oil. What are you doing with 800 gallons of olive oil? Anyway, uh, (laughs) you know, okay, all right, um, okay. So the manager told him, take the bill and quickly change it to 400 gallons. Cut it in half. This is is the debt. I'm going to cut your debt in half, okay? And how much... Do you owe my employer? He asked the next man. I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. And by the way, you know, these in ancient uh, Near East terminology is really, the rich man is very wealthy. To be giving this kind of stuff, you know, uh, as, as part of the loans, he's, he's very, very wealthy. Uh, I owe him a thousand bushels of wheat, was the reply. Here, the manager said, take the bill and change it to 800 bushels. Now, here's, here's the deal. Here's the deal. The implication is the manager's been fired. But it's not common knowledge that he's been fired yet. It's been kept on the lowdown, if I, you know. And the manager still has access to the books. No one has heard yet that he's been fired. So he's able to act still as a manager, and no one knows. No, no one's got the better of it. So whatever he's doing, he's doing like very quickly, within hours. Okay? So he's done this very, very quickly. 
And this plan is totally dependent on the characteristic of the rich man. And if you had a little bit of time, if you had a little bit of opportunity, you know, what would you do? What would you do in the case of the manager? He is leveraging all of its worth. All, all, all that he has, he's leveraging all that he has on the master. All these people would have assumed, would have assumed that this was something urgent when they came in. In fact, they would have thought that, you know, something bad has happened. But to come in and suddenly have their, their debts sort of cut in half, how do you think they would have felt? That the manager, that the rich man who the manager is representing has done that for them. Now, how do you think the rich man is going to respond? See, the assumption is the rich man is going to think you, huh? fill in the blank, okay? But look how the rich man responds. The rich man had to admire the dishonest rascal for being so shrewd. Okay, that's a real twist, isn't it? That's a real twist, isn't it? Why would the manager actually admire a person who, for no other reason, is actually stealing more from the manager, from the, from the rich man, than he was originally accused of stealing? So why, why is he admiring him? Okay, look what Jesus said. And it is true that the children of this world are more shrewd in dealing with the world around them than are the children of light. Oh! That's the lesson? That this manager is being commended for his shrewdness? And Jesus says, guess what? The people of this world are much better at figuring out the world and managing the world around them than the children of light. In other words, believers. Okay? I don't know about you, but that messes with my head. Okay? That is really something, you know. Is that the cute little Jesus we all hear about? Okay, that's a really strong statement. That's a really strong statement. Okay? Now... You would have expected the, man, the, the, the rich man to be angry. But here's the thing. The manager is relying on the generosity of the rich man. Okay? And here's the thing. The rich man is generous. And here's why. The rich man in that culture and in that day could have, could have not just fired the manager, but could have put him in jail until everything was paid back, until he had proof of everything that was stolen and everything was paid back. The other thing you can do in that time period is you could arrest the man's family and put them in jail and hold them hostage and even sell them as slaves if you needed to to get your money paid back. But because the rich man is a generous man, all he did was fire him. It could have been much, much, much Worse. So here's grace that's being extended. Here's generosity that's being extended. And the manager actually leverages it in order to get a better potential of a future position. Because these people that he went to that owed the rich man money, 
if they had said, oh, you need a job? Maybe we can help you out now. (laughs) It's pretty tricky, eh? It's pretty shrewd, eh? And what's the rich man going to do at this point in time? If the rich man goes back to all these people and said, oh, by the way, I had fired the manager and uh, I have to take it all back now, how do you think that would have squared? No, really? Come on. In a, in, a, in, a, in a culture of shame and honor, you think he's going to be able to go back and say that to the people? Do you know, do you know what he's going to... Whatever, whatever reputation for generosity he's had in the past is going to be gone in one false swoop. Or, or he can rest upon people acknowledging, even in a greater way, the generosity of the rich man. The generosity of the rich man. See, the whole story, the whole story rests on, rests on the generosity of the rich man. And the rich man is, in this particular parable, God himself. The incredible grace, the incredible mercy, the incredible generosity of the rich man. And sometimes as human beings, and sometimes as human beings, we get it wrong. Sometimes as human beings, we get off track. But there's a Father in heaven who is generous, who is gracious, and incredibly forgiving. Jesus goes on. Now, now a lot of times we get to this parable, and we don't read the rest Okay, we don't, we don't kind of read the rest. But you know that Jesus kind of, there's a whole bunch of statements that we love to put on our fridges and put on plaques on the walls that, that come out of this particular story. And, and, and here, here's, here's where Jesus continues, okay? Here's the lesson Jesus says to his disciples, right? Even though it looks like this is a, a whole thing about you know, affirming deception, But here's what Jesus says. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Okay. Then, when your earthly possessions are gone, they will welcome you to an eternal home. Interesting interesting statement, right? Okay. Here's the next one. If you are faithful in little things, you will be faithful in large ones. But if you are dishonest in little things, you won't be honest with greater things responsibilities. How many people say, oh, it's just a little thing, don't worry about it? Or my favorite, whatever. Okay? Right? How many, how many times, you know? Or how many times have you, have, you, have you, how many times have you heard people say, I will be generous when? Okay? That's not biblical. If you're not going to be generous with the little you have, you will never be generous with the amount you get, whether it's a windfall, whether it's a lottery, or anything like that. Because generosity is a heart condition, a spiritual condition. It is not a monetary one. Okay? And that's what Jesus is trying to get across. And if you are untrustworthy about worldly wealth, who will trust you with the true riches of heaven? And if you are not faithful with other people's things, why should you be trusted with things of your own? 
Wow, that's a, that's a whole lot that comes. And here's the biggie. Here's the biggie that we, you know, that's quite a lesson out of the story. But here's the biggie that we all throw out around all the time. Okay, this next statement. No one can serve two masters. How many of you know this one? For you will hate one and love the other. You will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. How many of us have heard that one, right? That's the summary statement of this particular, particular parable. Now, look at the next line because a lot of times we don't add the next line, right? The Pharisees who were listening in to Jesus teaching his disciples who dearly loved their money. How many of you love your money? No, don't put your hand up. Almost, almost got you. Almost got you. Okay? <laughs> Heard all this and what? Scoffed at him. And scoffed at Jesus. They heard all this and scoffed at Jesus. And by the way, wait, we did this backwards. The parable that Matt did last week actually comes right after this. Okay? Kind of did this backwards. Um, I don't know why, but I just did. Okay? So I kind of did it backwards. Um, but, but how many of us know that, you know, whatever, whatever our heart Wherever our heart is, that's where our treasure is. You know, that, that whole statement, that whole statement, and all of this. So, um, how many of us believe that whatever material blessings we have, whatever material wealth we have, is a blessing from God? Okay? That, that's a two-edged sword, isn't it? We, we acknowledge that God is the giver of every good and perfect gift. But sometimes, here's the rub, here's the rub. Sometimes we can feel that we are more blessed than another because we have more. And that's the thing with the religious leaders. They, they, they saw their material wealth, they saw their monetary wealth as a, a confirmation of the blessing from God. And they would look down on those that didn't have the same equality materialistically or monetarily. And they would look down on them and Jesus throws this kind of rub in there. And that's why they scoff at Jesus, because they dearly loved their money. But what does it communicate? So let me give you, let me give you five really quick points that come out of this parable. Um, now, I, I admit, you're going, to get it, you're going to get in your little huddles in life group and you're going to wrestle with certain parts of this. There's no doubt about it. Because in, in some ways, the parable doesn't make sense, okay? Uh, but here, here are the key points that come out of this particular parable. Uh, number one, God is a gracious owner of everything. We are simply managers. Um, if you're a Christian here this morning, you probably need to be reminded about this. Okay, God, God is, is the owner of everything. That whatever we have belongs to God. If you're a believer here this morning, that is something you have to come and, uh, and understand fully in your life, right? What we are, are stewards. What we are, are managers of what God has entrusted to us. And one day we're going to give an account of how we manage everything that God gave us. Okay? That that's, that that's biblical, you know? Um, and there's, and attached to that is a certain expectation of what God sees with the resources that he has given us. 
Okay. Now this is true individually. This is true even 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 in the in a in a in the body of believers as a church. Okay. This is this is the statement that's true. How many of us truly believe that everything we have, the the house we live in, the car we drive, the you know, it belongs to God. And sometimes, don't we get upset with God because he hasn't blessed us like he should? And yet everything that we have is God's. And God expects us to use it in a particular way. Here's, here's a second, second point. God sees our resources as tools for kingdom work. First and foremost, God sees the resources that he gives us as work for him, his kingdom. And, you know, and, and, and that is true with your gifts. That is true with your abilities. That is true, you know, whether, you know, whether it's physical, and, you know, whatever. That whatever resources you have, whatever God has gifted you with, whether it's physical, material, or a, 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 an ability or a talent of some kind, God sees that first and foremost as your responsibility for kingdom work. If you're a believer here this morning and you are taking the things that God has blessed you with and using it to elevate yourself and do nothing for God with it, that's not good. Can I just tell you that's not good? God expects the resources that you have for kingdom work, whatever it looks like for you, Okay? That's primarily why God gave it to you in the first place, is for kingdom work. Okay? And I've said this many times, any special ability that you have in the church is not for you to elevate yourself. It's for you to use it within a community to bless them. Okay? All right? So, um, very, very important. God owns it. You're the manager of it. And what God expects from you is to use it for his kingdom, for his honor, for his glory. All right? Okay? Whatever residual benefit you get is your residual benefit. All right? Okay? That's why, that's, that's why Jesus says, you know, trust you with a little. I uh, can't trust you with a lot because I can't trust you with a little. And some of us, you know, don't get trusted with very much. And we go, oh, why, why doesn't God give me more? And God would probably say to you, because I can't trust you with a little. You've demonstrated that a little is not getting you the kingdom kind of, you know, traction that it should. Okay? Harsh? Harsh? Yeah. Okay? But, but that's what comes out of this. Number three. That's the point I just made a second ago. Um, big and small are related. And, and we don't like to, to relate big and small. Right? When we say, you know, the small things aren't that important, don't sweat it, all that kind of stuff. In some ways, that's okay. In some ways, that's true. But, but in other ways, you know, if you can't be diligent, if you don't have integrity with little things, if you, you know, if you, if you can't do a good job with just a menial task, why are you going to get trusted with more? Right? This is, you know, this, this is simple employer-employee stuff, Right? I would never trust that person to do the big contract because how many times you give them a little contract and they mess it up? And, and here's, here's the rub with all of that. How many of us as, as, as parents have had the teacher say about your child, oh, he's got so much potential, but he doesn't apply himself? Oh. If I had a nickel for every teacher that said that about my boys. Um, anyway. 
And yet they're, you know, right? Okay? But that's, but that's true spiritually as well. All right? That small and big are often related. And Jesus sees these little things, those little moments, that time in the closet, that, you know, that time when you, when you added stuff and you, and you did a really good job and you had people around you go, why are you doing so good? Like, why would you bother? Who's ever going to see it? And how many of you have said, but I will see it, but I will know. I can't just, you know, do this in, in a halfway it's, it's, you know, I've got I've to do my best. And because I've got to do my best because God knows. And to do my best is honoring God. Okay? Look, that has a whole lot of ramifications. That has a whole lot of, that has a whole lot of, you know what? That's got a whole lot of ramifications for the church. How many, how many of us, you know, how many of us say, you know, we dedicate our lives. Okay, here's, here's a harsh one. How many of us would dedicate, if, if you were told, oh, you got you to gotta teach at a, at a college or university, okay? And you pour your lives into teaching and that, and you put all this energy and you do the very best. I got it. And then you're asked to teach Sunday school and you don't even give it a second thought. And you go, oh, it's, I'm just going to take care of kids. I can look at the lesson later. Or I could do it five minutes before I go down there. Okay? The church should be a model of excellence for the world. Okay. Um, number four. Sin is serious, but God's mercy is greater. Uh, Jesus doesn't, you know... You know they, they don't admire the fraud that the manager does. What they admire is the inventiveness and the shrewdness of his plan to get ahead. That's, that's the point of the parable. Okay? And Jesus says, you know what? Right? That's really neat the way he did that. They're not affirming the fraud. They're not affirming that he stole more or anything, anything like that. But it's just one of those extreme stories about the shrewdness of an individual and how Jesus is trying to teach the disciples about being smart, being clever, being inventive, okay? But God's mercy is greater. And listen, if your life is not shaped by understanding the character of God, you are going to miss God's real blessing in your life. You're going to miss those moments when God is being gracious, you're going to miss those moments when God is being merciful to you. You're going to miss those moments, okay? Because there are many times that God is gracious in our lives, but we get upset with him because he's not doing our bidding the way we want him to. All right? Um, okay, number five. Let's, let's close it out. Believers should be known for their shrewdness. Now, Shrewdness is a tough word here, okay? And in fact, in Greek, it has all kinds of connotations, okay? In Greek, shrewdness. Shrewdness is used in this particular parable the way it's used because it applies to the context of the parable. In all other places, it's like clever, wise, inventive, smart. It is, it is all that stuff. In fact, if you ever want to compliment a Greek parent, 
okay? If you ever want to compliment a Greek parent with their little two-year-old running around, all you have to do is go, Ine poneros, ine. Like, he's, like he's smart, he's clever, okay? That's, that's the implication here, right? He may, be doing, he may be doing something that's a little, maybe not of your approval, but he's showing his cleverness and his inventiveness, and we've all been there. We've all seen that. That's, that's, the, that's the thrust of this uh, particular word right here. But, you know, this is a real rub for many of us, that Jesus is advocating us to be clever in the world that we live in, to be wise, to be inventive, to use our resources for kingdom work, to not, you know, to, to not just sit in the background and let the world pass us by doing everything better than we, we can. That we need to be shrewd as well. I, 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 this does not square very, very nicely in, in very neat Christian boxes. This is like outside of the box a little bit. Okay? There's no doubt about that. But we're called to live wise. And to be best examples of kingdom work, to use our resources for the, for the sake of the kingdom, to be active, to be inventive, to be creative, to be, you know, more intelligent, not to just sit in the background. That's the powerful statement about this particular parable, that Jesus wanted to teach his disciples. And the Pharisees got all upset, and Jesus went, aha, uh-huh, okay, that's not what I want you to focus on. That's not the priority I want you to focus on. If you had a little bit of time, if you had a little bit of opportunity, how would you use it? What motivates you in your world today? What motivates you in your life? If you are motivated by kingdom priorities, your life will be far different than if you're motivated by the priorities of the world around us. And this parable teaches us that even as churches, we have to be aware of what's happening in the world around us so we can be inventive and clever and present ourselves in a way that makes the world stand up and take notice because of the ability to be shrewd in a world that's trying to outrun us. Scary? Scary? No, not at all, right? But that's what Jesus taught. How are you going to be shrewd this? How are you going to be wise this week? How are you going to be able to be clever in a way that brings honor and glory to God the Father? Let's pray. Father, How many of us are motivated by kingdom priorities? I know it's a tough parable. Probably so many questions about why Jesus used this particular story. Why the manager gets commended for his shrewdness. And how Jesus uses that as something that we need to take seriously. That when it comes to our integrity, when it comes to our inventiveness, when it comes to our ability 
But there's something to be said about relying on the character of God to see immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine. I know sometimes it's just easy to go through the motions. But we have a heavenly Father who is incredibly gracious, who is incredibly generous, who would give us, as I've just said, immeasurably more than we can hope or imagine. Matt even mentioned earlier all the answered prayer that we're experiencing. And yet, Lord, we can shut ourselves away from the world around us But Jesus is actually calling us to be more shrewd than the world around us. I know for some of us that that's difficult, that almost seems deceptive. But there's a certain wisdom of living above the standard of the world and having faith in our Heavenly Father and having faith that we need to have the kind of excellence and integrity and understanding that would allow us to be propagators of the gospel in a way that would attract people because they see the wisdom in the lives that we live. So, Lord, let us commit today to serving you in a way that honors who you are but demonstrates a life of wisdom because of our faith in you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.